The world of federal contracting is never static. In fact, just before New Year's, the Office of Federal Contract Compliance Programs launched a rulemaking gambit to clarify the existing rules having to do with resolving cases of alleged discrimination. Joining me with some of the details, the Executive Vice President and Counsel at the Professional Services Council, Alan Chavotkin. Alan, good to have you on. Always a pleasure, Tom. Before we get to the OFCCP rulemaking, though, I wanted to ask you about something else the Professional Services Council has done regarding a couple of unfortunate deaths of contractor employees around the world in military zones. And you've contacted the uh, DOD and State Department to kind of raise that issue. That's right. We were uh, obviously any deaths of uh, uniformed militaries, civilian employees or contractors is tragic. And we had a couple of deaths of contractors. Uh, So right after the new year on January 6th, we wrote to the secretaries of defense and State Department uh, looking for two things. One, for a clear acknowledgement about the uh, essential role that contractors play. Uh, most of the statements had focused uh, primarily on the DOD side uh, and on both the military and civilian employees, and we acknowledged that but thought the contractors are an essential element of the force. The second thing we recommended is to work with uh, us and contractors to find a better way to communicate threat uh, information. There's no indication in the deaths either in Iraq or in Kenya uh, that there was a lot of advanced uh, threat information available. But nevertheless, in the post-Iraq and uh, post-Kenya environments, uh, we strongly recommended that DOD and State Department work with us and with the contractors to find a way to improve the communications about uh, threat information that they know. Uh, We received a response from uh, Ellen Lord, the Undersecretary of Defense, on January 8th uh, on behalf of the Secretary. Uh, She acknowledged the essential role of contractors and uh, said that they'll continue to assess ways to share that information. And we have uh, additional follow-up that we're going to be doing this week uh, with DOD to to try to flesh that out. Okay, well, good luck with that because, golly, it's a non-trivial concern, the idea that you could lose your life in service to the government as a contractor. Well, it is, and I appreciate that. And uh, we're very thankful for the the prompt and and positive outreach from the Department of Defense. Uh, We know that there's been coordination uh, with the Department of State, and uh, we'll certainly keep you informed and your listeners informed of the progress we make. And getting over to the Office of Federal Contract Compliance Programs, which is always seems to be something of a tug of war, depending on which party the administration that's in power at the moment is. What is going on with their proposed rulemaking? Well, the Office of Federal Contract Compliance Programs, OFCCP, is uh, within the Department of Labor. It's a, an agency within the Department of Labor, and they evaluate federal contractors' compliance with affirmative action and non-discrimination requirements. It's been around forever. Uh, This proposed rule uh, seeks to provide uh, contractors with some greater certainty about the procedures that they use at the Department of Labor on this uh, non-discrimination. The department uh, issued an internal directive in February of 2018 uh, called the Use of Predetermination Notices, and uh, this proposed rule seeks to take that internal directive and put it into the regulations. It's really two areas of uh, interest. One is uh, preliminary determination of uh, notice and then a notice of violations. The other piece of this is the attention to statistical and non-statistical element requirements. 
we're going to get into the weeds very quickly here if we're not careful, but uh, the Department of Labor's OFCCP has always used statistical information uh, to determine whether there has been a violation and uh, this rule clarifies not just the statistical evidence that's required, uh, but also the non-statistical evidence that will be required before the department proceeds either with their uh, notice of proposed, uh, their predetermination notice, the PDN, or with its final notice of violation. That's not really just a minor technical issue because that's a, in the world of discrimination discovery writ large, the issue of whether a simple statistic of, say, the racial breakdown of a workforce is prima facie evidence of discrimination, that's a huge topic of controversy right now. It is, and it's, uh, companies are uh, always trying to figure out how much information they can collect and uh, what are the procedures that they use to collect that on a regular basis. Uh, and so you're absolutely right. This is not a technical change to the to the. OFCCP uh, regulations or its its process, um, and we're, we're going to watch out um, and see how this one plays out. It came out uh, on December 30th, um, so a lot of people are just now paying attention to what the, the regulation uh, provides. Uh, we're doing some outreach to our members to try to assess the impact uh, and this has uh, broad implications for any company that does business with the federal government. We're speaking with Alan Chavotkin, Executive Vice President and Counsel at the Professional Services Council. And there's been a few other goodies that have happened for federal contractors in and around that New Year's transition. One of them is having to do with Section 889, telecommunication, video surveillance equipment and all that. And that brings China into the calculus again. Yeah, just before New Year's, I think before uh, many people popped the cork on the bubbly, uh, the DOD issued an interim rule on December 31st uh, implementing uh, what we've called that Section 889 limitation. In the fiscal year 2018 National Defense Authorization Act, Congress imposed a limitation on federal agencies being able to buy uh, goods or services from certain designated Chinese companies. Uh, an interim rule was published in uh, August of uh, 2019. A second interim rule was published uh, on December 13th on the representation process. And here on uh, Christmas Eve, the Department of Defense issued its own interim rule uh, to take that government-wide rule and apply it to the unique provisions and unique uh, programs in the Department of Defense. Uh, we've commented on some of the early versions. Uh, we'll no doubt comment on this uh, DFARS interim rule as well. We're working on those on a multi-association basis. Uh, and there's lots going on in this whole area of uh, the limitation on uh, telecommunications and video surveillance equipment uh, from these Chinese and other companies. Uh, so it, it's worth a whole program just on this one. Sure, but does that rule in general make it difficult by limiting the number of vendors available? Is there a big, robust marketplace outside of China, I guess, is really the question, or one of the questions. Well, there's a, certainly a number of companies that are providing goods and services to federal agencies have been using uh, some of the Huawei or ZTE equipment. Now the, there's a prohibition on doing that, uh, both at the federal level as well as under this DOD uh, interim rule from December 31st. But the bigger challenge is uh, the rule is not very specific about either who is covered. It requires the companies to sort of figure that out for themselves. 
uh, and not very specific about what is covered. And so the bulk of our comments previously are were around those two elements, uh, greater certainty about who should be covered, and if the government knows something, uh, they ought to say something to the vendor community if they know of uh, types of companies that uh, are particularly worrisome, uh, put them on the list. Uh, this is another element of that information sharing where we think the government can do a better job of that. So it is significant, uh, although it may not have the broadest impact, but every company uh, has to make a representation that they're not selling to the government uh, any of the equipment or services uh, from companies, and the list is not uh, finite. And that really, I think, over time creates a divergence between the government market and the commercial market for telecom gear because you've got the big carriers and not-so-big carriers investing in 5G, and there's no, there's fewer constraints, anyhow, on where they can source their gear for the networks they're building, which could end up being used to carry federal signals and information. Absolutely. And as you've reported previously, a number of uh, DOD activities are testing out 5G at unique in military installations. There's uh, lots of commercial activities around 5G uh, from the telecom companies. So uh, this whole area is... Uh, is a little schizophrenic in how the government is approaching it. On one hand, there's a prohibition. On the other, uh, they're trying to encourage uh, vendor communities to uh, create the information and provide the, the services um, that 5G offers. Alan Chavotkin is Executive Vice President and Counsel at the Professional Services Council. As always, thanks so much. My pleasure, Tom. We'll post this interview and links to more information at federalnewsnetwork.com slash federaldrive. Hear the Federal Drive on demand. Subscribe at Apple Podcasts or Podcast One.